0: This is Edward Blad of Independent Research Forum and a very warm welcome to Eric Kress of Gostever Consulting Group, who has kindly agreed to be interviewed on this IRF podcast. IRF, a company I set up almost five years ago, specializes in putting high quality and differentiated independent researchers in front of investment professionals across the globe. We represent over 250 providers ranging from global macro to stock pickers. Eric, based in San Francisco, extensively covers the video gaming sector and main console and publisher companies operating within it. Before setting up independently in 2015, he did corporate strategy at EA and Kabam. This unique corporate experience really gives him an edge over the traditional Wall Street banks covering the video gaming stocks. With the sector having had yet another stellar year, particularly with the working from home theme, Eric will give us some highlights from 2020 and insights on what we should expect to see in 2021. Hi Eric, thanks for joining us. Now to get us started, what prompted you to leave the corporate space and start providing your insights to the buy side?
1: Well, I, I had originally was in investment banking and saw what research analysts were doing out there. And I thought with my experience doing all kinds of things within EA and Kabam, that my background and experience would be pretty valuable for investors. And, Initially, I, I worked at Bay Street, which covered both wireless and handsets, and they kind of shaped how I built the product. Um, I left Bay Street, went back to Kabam and in industry, and now I've started my own thing. So generally speaking, I think I have a different differentiated view on the space from a, from a lens of actually being in a company, which is quite a bit different from most sell-side uh, analysts. And I think that provides my clients with a little bit more of an edge on the trends and things that are happening in the space.
0: Excellent. You've always told me that whilst friends of your children love you so they can come visit the gaming mecca that you've created at home, their parents don't share the same admiration. How much gaming do you do? And is it an important part of your analysis?
1: Well, what's funny is that that's really changed over the last year with COVID, all these parents who are really self-righteous about not playing video games are calling me up and asking what console they should buy, <laughs> you know? so. So they now, I am popular with both parents and kids at this point. Um, all right, gaming. I always tell my clients, look, I, I am still a big gamer. I play World of Warcraft. I play, you know, Destiny. I play Division. But I also tell, I also say most of the time that, like, look, I'm out of the core age demographic, right? What I think is cool is not really relevant anymore. So I rely upon. You know, anecdotal evidence from my children, but also listening to people that are out there on podcasts and coverage, et cetera, to see what is the trends and what's going on. So, my opinion is not as as valued from a being a gamer perspective. Um, It's just more of my lens from doing this business for a long, long time. So, for twenty years.
0: So that was a good reason for you to have children, Eric.
1: (laughs) I mean one of the one of the primary reasons, right? Of course. I have focus groups, right?
0: Yeah, you get your children's classmates or whatever all involved, and that's a great yeah, great way of doing research, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so in terms of the game releases throughout 2020, were these what you expected, and were you right in predicting how well these um, different games were received?
1: Well, I'm actually really feeling good this year about the calls, right? So my, my fundamental calls was that um, EA would kind of just coast because it really had no releases to speak of. I thought Assassin's Creed would outperform. And I think Assassin's Creed's actually outperformed my outperformance. Um, I was also really relatively negative on Call of Duty. I thought that was going to be down and it looks like it's going to be down even more than I expected. So it's probably down like 15 to 20% already and likely to be going down more like to 25%. Um, So that was good. And I think the CD project was the best call. Like I've been pounding the table short not short, but pounding the table that this thing was going to disappoint uh, all year. And for a variety of reasons, which came true, I will not take credit for the fact that they got pulled from the PlayStation store. I mean, that is unprecedented in this in my, in this business. For the last 20 years, I've never seen that actually happen before. Um, so it's gotten a lot worse than I expected. But I always expected that it was not going to be playing what play well on console, that the reviews would not be that strong and the game is just not that good, you know? And so- so I think CD project was the best call. I mean, the only really short call in the entire space. You know, there was really the only one that didn't had get, didn't take advantage of all this momentum with COVID. So I think that was probably one of the better calls this year. Um, and then finally, I think, you know, I've been really good with Zynga. I think I've been really close to this one and understand kind of the dynamics of what Frank is doing out there. And that's done quite well this year. Um, still have um, there are some issues now with zynga but we'll get to that in a bit so yeah generally speaking a pretty good year for me i didn't really miss much um you know with with what was happening with the with the games this year
0: nice well done what should investors be focusing on as we head into next year and which of the companies you think stand to do well and perhaps the ones that also could do badly
1: so i guess what i am trying to figure out is how much of this Last year was was based upon new players versus engagement. So COVID created a lot of engagement activity with existing players, both for mobile and console. We didn't see a lot of product releases in 2020, right? It was basically a dead year besides Cyberpunk, um, and we know what happened there. So what exactly is going to happen next year, right? So next year, I think we have a much better lineup in terms of new games that are coming out. We should see EA's Battlefield is, is due. We also should see some first-party games from Sony. Halo is due for holiday as well. And, you know, a lot of other smattering of, of pretty big releases. So basically a better release calendar. And not to mention Nintendo, which is going to be huge next year in terms of releases relative to basically nothing this year. So, um, So fundamentally, we have more games coming out next year. Having said that, what I'm hearing from most of my contacts in the industry is that a lot of this revenue and a lot of this activity that's been going on has been related to re-engagement, not new players per se, with the exception of Nintendo. I think Nintendo has done a bit of both. Um, and But fundamentally, we just see more and more people engaging because they're stuck at home. And so what does that mean next year when things should lighten up? Well, in theory, anyway. Uh, can't really predict that at this point. But again, assuming that things kind of... Um, get more back to normal next year, I think that is going to be the biggest problem is that we're not going to see as much engagement. And I think the most acute one that we should see that issue is with Activision and Call of Duty because fundamentally they did both. They basically, I think, reactivated many of their lapsed players, but also brought in a whole new set of players with their free to play version. And so they had the benefit of an amazing game with modern warfare and also insane amounts of engagement. So this time they are basically are going to be 0 for 2, right? The game is not that good and engagement is that people are not that interested in the new game. And then also they're not going to have the stay at home people, you know, driving a lot of the revenue and these new players, because I think a lot of people are going to be doing other things or, 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 or moving away. So while Activision has a very, very strong quarter ahead of them in, or in Q4, I think that the count for Q1 and Q2 gets very, very challenging for them. Um, generally speaking. And, you know, and the game they built is just not good enough. And I don't think the game next year is going to be very good either. I think it's going to be actually worse than this one before because it's being built by, you know, Team B, Team C. Um, And while Treyarch had a really tough time getting this game out, they still are the A team um, with Infinity Ward. So anyway, I think, you know, Activision will be the one that's going to be the most challenged from a comp perspective uh, this next year. Um, and then continuing issues with both with all their Blizzard, their Blizzard pipeline, King kind of getting crushed from competition. So Actress is, is, is set up to be, the I think, the most disappointing one next year, in my opinion. Um, on the flip side, I think EA uh, didn't have much of a lineup this, this year, but next year they have Battlefield. They have some momentum with, with the sports genres. They'll probably have a few other games smattered like UFC, etc., um, and they are also doing lots of things with mobile that I think will be, um, you know, hit, hit the headlines. And, and, and finally, Jeff Carp, who's taken over from the mobile group, um, is going to fix or try to fix Madden and FIFA um, on mobile. So that's a huge opportunity for them.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much for those fascinating insights. In terms of for the, uh, for the, the European investors on the call, uh, what, do you, what, what do you make of where Ubisoft is today um, and their upcoming? releases
1: you know ubisoft is interesting assassin's creed is absolutely killing it right and and i did make a i predicted that it was going to be a big game but i didn't think it was going to do nearly as well i, mean, I think it's going to be the biggest selling assassin's creed ever and i think it's a, it's a combination of two things one the game was reasonably good it's not that good honestly but the theme was very resonated with people and also, it's really the only showcase of next-gen tech, right? Like, they make a beautiful game, and, and they did optimize against next-gen SKUs. And so they, it looks phenomenal. And they had no competition because Cyberpunk got delayed, as we all know. Um, so anyway, because of that strength, they had the flexibility of moving games out till next year. And I think that behooves them because I don't think they had much of a lineup. So Far Cry is coming um, next year. Uh, prince of persia remaster which is going to be interesting rainbow six so they have a lineup for next year i think and i think it's pretty good and i think they're in pretty good shape relatively however this all this drama that's happening within this company is is taking its toll i've been told is that like both they're getting the the ceo and the execs um are, are getting it from both investors as well as from employees and it's 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 really tough spot for them to be in because they're really nice people and it's really hard for them to deal with all this flack because they've basically been above the clouds for the most time in terms of both perception from enthusiasts and also investors. Um, So this is a challenge for them. And also uh, the CEO has lost uh, three of its five lieutenants and that's tough. I mean, you know, the chief creative officer, Serge, was working with him for 30 years, you know, side by side, right? So it's really hard when you have that kind of uh, camaraderie to lose them it's so abruptly. So anyway, I think they have some challenges more of a longer term. Um, but but in the short term, I think they're still in good shape. They just need to figure out a way of getting a creative person in there to help kind of um, navigate and, and, and set stri- set priorities for, for for the games and their developers, and stop spending money on nonsense. They they spend a lot of money on projects that don't make any sense. Things like steep, you know, rock rock whatever Rockstar, the game that, for the, with the uh, guitar, um, lots of uh, lots of fat in that company that could be fixed. But um, I still I still do like Ubisoft. I think they have some great franchises and some great IP that's going to be resonate with the current market.
0: Are there any other um, European companies involved in video gaming that you cover, Eric?
1: Well, I think Codemasters was one that got bought by EA or in, is, is is pending to get bought by EA. Um, I personally think that is a really not a very smart acquisition, frankly. I don't think Codemasters makes absolutely beautiful racing games, but the racing genre has been tiny, less than like 4% of the overall market for a decade or more. Um, since like the heydays in the PS2, Xbox era, racing is just not a genre that really resonates with a broad audience. So acquiring something like that makes no sense. Don't, I, don't, I don't approve of that acquisition at all. Um, but uh, having said that, uh, you know, the Codemasters makes great games. Um, other than that, most of the ones that are, are, are involved with the gaming space, things like Embracer Group, uh, Stillfront Group are kind of aggregators. Um, which could be covered on a whole other podcast. And out of those two, Stillfront makes the most sense to me because they're actually acquiring assets that are generating money and and could make games. Um, Embracer Group, on the other hand, are picking up a lot of uh, distressed assets that is unclear as to whether or not they'll ever actually make any new games anymore. So I, I talk about this a lot on um, these type of things on our podcast, Deconstructor of Fun. I, I recommend you guys take a look listen to that once in a while we get into it a little bit more deeply but um but fundamentally i don't understand embracer group strategy at this point but still front those guys are pretty smart
0: great my last question eric is about this um, fascinating um ipo roadblock amazing how much interest there's been in it what are your thoughts on this now humongous launch
1: well <laughs> i've been really close to roadblocks for a while i've met the ceo and i met you know the chief development director and i have a lot of friends from kabam that that are there um i haven't spoken to any of them in months obviously because of the quiet period but but fundamentally um i love this company i said if i were to go back to industry for anything i'd probably go back to roblox because i think what they are doing they are basically where the puck is going already like if you read what Andreessen puts out about the video game space um you read about like kind of the theses around developing or investing in the space and what ga- games are being developed they are already doing it um and so roblox fundamentally they have the the only only complete system related to what people are considering you know the ready player one metaverse type thing where they have the development tools they have a large developer community they have a microtransaction marketplace they have cross-platform publishing, and they have an absolutely massive player base all in one system. And they've been building this thing over the last 14 years, um, so they, it is an incredibly well-run company, um, and with huge opportunities and and just an, just an amazing business, um, generally speaking. Now, um, I'm not going to go too deep into this, and all the all the things I think are are, are great, but I think most people know this at this point. Um, but the challenges here are one, and I don't generally w- look at valuation too closely. But like initially, their valuation was around ten to twenty million. Now I'm talking twenty billion. Excuse me. I'm, now I'm he- I'm hearing you know twenty to forty billion, and wow, that's like price to perfection. I mean, that's that's quite quite a big leap. Um, and so so now I'm kind of focusing kind of on what their issues are. So the one like really keen insight that I can provide on Roblox is that their biggest challenge is this, is that their games and tools and technologies all relate to catering to that eight to 15 year old demographic. Basically, by the time you turn 15 or 16, you're churning out of this, this, this system altogether. Right. And so the only way they can actually appeal to a bigger, broader audience is to improve the tools and technologies to build better games right and so the problem with that is is that you do that and then you alienate the existing developer base that's major ga- major platform so strong and major platform cater to the your core demographic and so they're in this catch 22 situation so they have a lot of ability to grow both geographically platform like they're growing like crazy on mobile right now which should continue to next year but in order to really change the age demographic they have to manage that very very closely and tightly and, and that is not an easy feat for uh, for for a Roblox. so while I am super bullish on this company and I love I love what they do and, and what they're doing they're also because of this is where the puck is going there's a lot of people that are coming after them including epic which evidently is going to have their um, system or put in place uh, in q1 of next year with much more robust tools um, than than what well, in theory anyway, than what um, Roblox is doing so so epic is coming um some other smaller co- competitors like Manticore, et cetera. but fundamentally, like they are in the driver's seat and they are the first mover, and these guys have done an, an exceptional job of of monetizing the space and 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 building up the space. The other two like issues that I will kind of like point out that I just want to be clear on is that the other thing is their monetization so with a lot of this controversy, particularly in Europe. Um, in some of the smaller countries, the about loot boxes and egregious monetization, the, the monetization that they do for kids is just insane. Like the pay-to-win loot box, all that stuff that people talk about, and so that doesn't get a lot of scrutiny when you're privately tra- private company. But when you go public, that could become an issue for them, particularly with regulatory boards in 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 Europe, not not so much in North America. And then the second thing is that the 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 game the company is not run as a publicly traded company, and I don't want to you know the executive team is what it is. Uh, The CEO is an absolute amazing visionary, and um, I I I can't I have utmost respect for him. But but the problem is that running a publicly traded company is coming kind of a different animal, and I think there's likely going to be missteps along the way in terms of how they communicate and manage the street. Um, and actually, if we go back to the CD project thing, this is, I think, part of why CD Projekt's in such a tough spot that they are is that with all the interest in the game and the interest in the company and the exploding valuation, I think the executives there probably got caught up in that, in that hype and they just reinforced it with unrealistic expectations on that game and not really managing expectations on the street perspective. And this is why we've seen such a huge drop um, on the stock is, cause they just can't meet up those expectations. So what I worry about Roblox is that they're not going to be equipped to basically to handle, um, the, uh, the hype that's, that's surrounding this name, um, from, from, you know, from this, this IPO process. So just something to be worried about, uh, concerned about generally speaking, but fundamentally I do think they can grow next year. Uh, they will not nearly have as big of a year as they did last year or in 2020, but, um, uh, but I think I think they are poised to be an exceptionally huge company um, and a great company to cover uh, for kind of the metaverse type trade.
0: So, so you'll be adding them to your coverage list.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Love I love this company. And then the last one that I'll mention just quickly is Nintendo. Um, I've been relatively negative on Nintendo from the perspective of them being very stodgy and and their quote unquote creative integrity has kind of held them back on this digital revolution, uh, that we've seen in the video game space over the last like what six years or so. Um, but I think things are changing there. And, and the one thing I will leave you with is with Nintendo is that if they basically, what seems to be happening is that they are going to go to an iPhone model, right? Where they're just going to upgrade that device and keep the user player paying user base, um, could, happy with the existing hardware as well as with new hardware. And that creates a different kind of paradigm for them because traditionally, every five or six years, they release a brand new hardware psych platform and they have to start from scratch, start from zero, right? But that not, does not seem what they are doing now. So we should see, and I, here's what I mean. It, it, we should see a 1.5 version of the switch um, in Q1, of, or Q1 or Q2 of next year. That will become backwards compatible, obviously, with the current. And then what I think should happen is three years from there, we should see, you know, Switch 2.0, which may be backwards compatible with 1.5, but likely not with one, um, because for all intents and purposes, the the existing Switch is a terrible piece of hardware. It has terrible Wi-Fi, terrible Bluetooth. Um, you know, the graphics chip is awful. I mean, the screen is okay, but... Um, but and no onboard storage. So what I think is going to happen is that they are going to have a perpetual upgrade cycle for this hardware. And then also all the software should be compatible. So they, they will not have to start from zero again. And that creates a completely different model for Nintendo. Um, now they had an amazing year this year. There's just no doubt, but then they also had no games. They didn't release any games in their fiscal really, right, that, that are meaningful. And so they have a big pipeline coming up next year, which should help them kind of weather this comp Um, from COVID Um, and also with all the momentum they have on hardware and a new hardware skew, they should have a great year next year. So I I really do like Nintendo, even though, you know, the stock is up quite a bit, but I I still like where they are right now in in the market.
0: Well, thank you very much. Most impressive and comprehensive analysis as always, Eric, your expertise is highly sought after, which is why i have had so much success in marketing Gossamer. (laughs) It's been a big shame not to see you in London for marketing in 2020. I do hope you'll be able to cross the pond in 2021, so we can get that show back on the road. Enjoy- in the meantime, enjoy the end-of-year festivities. Have a choir, they might be. No doubt, lots of time for gaming with the kids and more insights for your clients.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, it should be a, a it should be a much better year next year. I'm hoping.
0: <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Eric.